When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us on the show. Lots to talk about over the next couple of hours. Wonderful music and chat too. If you want to get in touch, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. I'm starting today with a very good friend of ours, and I'll tell you why we're going to talk to him. Well, we have, we have two reasons. His new, fantastic new book is out and just uh, available. But on a more serious note, if you remember last week, I had some students in from TY year in a local school, and they were fantastic. They did the, the face mask on me, and I'm looking beautiful ever since. But anyway, off mic, I was chatting to them here, and I just threw into the conversation... Andrew Tate and what was happening to him and I was amazed to listen to them. Um, Some were very much in his um, let me say in his following and and couldn't see anything wrong but others questioned aspects of who he was and what he was but suddenly since this guy's arrest in Romania he and others of his ilk have certainly come to the fore and I can't believe the amount of young people who are really influenced by the likes of Tate and others. So we're going to talk about it for the next while with a brilliant man. He's a child protection expert, teacher, author, musician. He's a wonderful dad, a granddad at this stage, and he's one of life's great guys. Shane Dunphy, welcome back to the show. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Good to be here. Not at all. Thank you for joining me. Let's talk about this thing for a start that Tate has really Mm. brought to the fore. And I tell you, I'll be honest with you, a month ago, I never really knew this guy, knew anything about him, really even thought about the influence he wields. What's his game, Shane? And why has he so many, uh, uh, such a huge following across the world? Okay, he's he's a fascinating character. And I have to say... Um, while I kind of relish the opportunity to kind of talk about him and kind of drill down into what it is that he does, at the same time, I'm also ironically aware that the fact that you and I are talking about him at all on the radio would probably please him very much Mm. because he has actually said that he doesn't care about offending people, he doesn't care about upsetting people, and he doesn't care about disturbing people, that in fact that's part of what he does. Um, so I'm, all, I'm aware that in a way we're kind of feeding into his legend. Um, okay, Andrew Tate, um, he started out his career as a, as a kickboxer. Um, he was born in, in the United States, but was brought up in the north of England, yet bizarrely speaks with this um, Floridian accent. Um, his, his, his game is very simple. He draws people, particularly his target audience would be young men, kind of from the mid-teens to the early 20s. Mm. 
He draws them in by really what I would refer to as empowerment speech. So his, his, his initial message is all about believe in yourself, have a healthy body because a healthy body leads to a healthy mind. Don't be lazy, develop a really good work ethic, take risks, but believe in yourself, invest in yourself, which is all very sensible. Mm. Um, the same kind of thing that you'd hear many, many self-help um, experts talking about. But once he draws people in with that, that's when you start to get the other stuff. Because when you start following him, you then get bombarded with this other um, strain of his message. And that's where we start getting into very, very dark things indeed, because this man is an absolute misogynist of the worst kind. He's homophobic. He um, comes out with statements like now, and the young people who support him will say these statements are taken out of context. Yes. Um, but I, I, I've spent, since I was talking to, to Louise, your, your researcher, I've been watching some of these videos and, and talking to some people who are followers of his. And I have to say, they're not, these statements are not taken out of context. This is what he said, okay? So he says things like that women belong to men. Once a woman starts dating a guy, she effectively is his property. He says that women should not be allowed drive because they're just too dangerous if left on the road. Very disturbing, and this got me quite irate. Um, he says that women who have been raped or sexually assaulted must take some of the responsibility upon themselves for either behaving or dressing provocatively. And it goes downhill from there. There's some other stuff that he said and done that, quite frankly, isn't really fit for conversation at this hour of the day um, on the radio where, where, where mm. you know, small kids might be listening. I mean, very, very... Um, a lot of the, 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 the ways that he recommends that men should behave towards women are sexually violent, um, certainly psychologically abusive. Um, he himself says he only dates girls aged 18 and 19 because he believes that he can make a greater, better imprint upon them. So once young men um, buy into his empowerment speech, as I say, this idea of believe in yourself, you know, get a fit body, get a fit mind, don't be lazy, have a work ethic. All of this stuff, which, which makes a lot of sense, I'm not saying that it doesn't. Once you then, once you buy into that, what happens then is you get bombarded by all of these videos of him saying this other stuff. Um, the reason he has been arrested is um, because of, um, I, I have to legally say, um, so far um, not fully proven, um, allegations of um, uh, effectively people trafficking yes. in Romania. He has been accused of having two women held prisoner in his house against their will. Um, this is, is currently being investigated. Himself and his brother have been detained. Um, Andrew Tate himself claims that this is the Matrix sending its agents. Uh, another part of his message is that effectively the accepted establishment of our society is a front for other darker things that are trying to quash men and masculine power. Um, if you read into um, Tate, um, what you'll find is that he is referred to as part of the manosphere, which is this network of commentators and influencers who are um, seem to be encouraging this toxic masculinity, this idea that men need to reclaim their right as the leaders of our communities and our societies 
through aggressive means if necessary. So in effect, Uh, what you're saying, Shane, is he wants to turn the clock way back and he wants to, you know, listen to what you say there. And, 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 And many of the things you mentioned about him are the way that women have to live under certain regimes in the world today. That's quite oh, yeah. quite obvious, you know, where women are denied their basic rights and their freedom and the virtually slaves where men, you know, dictate absolutely everything. And the other point I want to make is I was talking to a, a, a teenager about this and they said just something you touched on there. You mentioned the Matrix. They say this is all fake news about this guy. They're just trying to get him. They don't like them. You know what I'm talking about, Jane? <clears throat> oh, I do. And I mean, this is something that that, that, that I've heard. You know, I, I've, I've done quite a bit of research into this now. And I've heard a number of teenagers saying that, um, you know, that this is just, as you say, yeah, the establishment trying to mm. pull him down mm. um, because he has become too influential, has too many followers. You know, he's he's the most searched person on the Internet at the moment, which is absolutely remarkable. Um, I think... The reason that we see somebody like him rising is because of, 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 of the woke, what they refer to as the woke agenda. We now live in a world where when we're discussing certain topics, issues around gender, issues around sexuality, issues around you know identity, we have to be quite careful about the way that we speak. And a lot of people are afraid to stand up and say certain things or voice certain opinions for fear that they will be cancelled, mm. that they'll be torn down. Um, as a result of which, um, probably justifiably, it has been said that a lot of journalism and a lot of um, media commentary has become quite toothless. It's become quite blunt, that, that people aren't able to really get down to the nitty-gritty of certain issues just out of fear. Yes. That if you, if you make a, a verbal misstep, even without thinking, that you're going to find yourself in an awful lot of trouble. Um, so we now have a rise of people like, at the very farthest extreme, we have Andrew Tate. Then you've got someone like Joe Rogan. Then you've got somebody like Jordan Peterson, who are people who are coming out and are saying things that are quite controversial. And you've got a large number of disenfranchised, frightened, often quite miserable you know, young men who feel that the, you know, the world just doesn't hold anything for them anymore. They don't know who they are. They don't know how to make their way. And they see these guys as maybe holding up a kind of a signpost. If you behave in this manner, you will be successful. Andrew Tate consistently shows himself in photographs, dressed in these tailored suits, smoking these enormous phallic cigars, um, surrounded by these um, you know, beautiful women. And he's telling these, these guys who feel that, that, that disempowered, if you behave in a certain way, you can have this too, which is complete and utter nonsense. Yes. But this is what he's selling. And these kids are, 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 are impressionable and they're buying into it. It's not a very well thought out approach, but it's one that is, is working for him in its most simplistic form. And it's, to be honest with you, Jerry, I find it deeply disturbing mm. because, you know, a lot, a lot of young men are saying, oh, yes, we believe this part of what he says, the empowerment stuff, but we don't really like the stuff that he's saying about gender. But the fact is, the more you listen to it, and the more they're, 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 they're consuming this stuff that he's saying, what worries me is that they might actually start believing it. And that would be very, very, very dangerous indeed, mm. because it, 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 it would... It, it, it just scares me. With, with the, I mean, you and I have talked before about the, the prevalence of, of free 
often very, very violent, very, very exploitative pornography online. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and what, you know, let's face it, Andrew Tate um, has been um, responsible for putting some of that stuff out there. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very, very scary thing that this stuff is so easily available, the pornography itself, and then this kind of commentary, um, you know, somebody like him encouraging young men to be violent, encouraging young men to be aggressively dominant yes. with their girlfriends, saying that women shouldn't be allowed to leave the house if they're in a relationship. Mm. I mean, this mm. is horrendous stuff. Uh, Jane, I, I want you to stay there. I want to take a short break because I want to come back to you. And the question you can prepare for this, what listeners and I want to know is, what does Shane Dunphy believe can be done to counteract his ilk, this fellow and others like him? Short break. Shane is staying with us on the show. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you have anything to say. If you're just joining us on the show, we're talking about social media influencer Andrew Tate with Shane Dunphy. Shane, just coming back to that question I left you with before the break, when you think about teens and young men, news, newspapers, all that type of stuff, no, they don't go there. Uh, they look on, you, you touched on I think yourself there, I may have mentioned it, that mass media is sort of a brainwashing, they're against this guy. They inhabit TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, etc. So Shane, how, how do you really get into their minds and their thinking to say, this is a fallacy? You need to talk to them, is, is the simple answer. And I, I find a lot of the discussions that you and I have kind of boil back down to that. We need to have, we need to ensure as parents that we have an ongoing dialogue with our kids. We need to know what they're watching, what they're consuming, what they're thinking. Now, I'm not suggesting that that needs to be in a hugely controlling way, because frankly, once your child has a phone, there's very little that you can do to stop them consuming whatever it is that they're going to consume. But what we do need to do is educate ourselves about what it is. You know, many young people have been aware of Andrew Tate for quite a long time, whereas the likes of you and I are only finding out about him, you know, quite recently because of the fact that he has been in the the wider media. Um, We need to be talking to our kids, finding out what they think, um, if we discover that they are um, consuming material by somebody like Andrew Tate, we need to have a look at that material and educate ourselves as to what it's about so that we can try and counteract it. Um, I believe that the vast majority of young people are good, decent kids who are who know the difference between what's right and what's wrong, who... Most of the... If you think about the fact that, you know, Ireland in many ways is is such an open liberal society. I I know that there is homophobia out there and I know that there is misogyny out there. Of course there is. But but generally kids are quite accepting of 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 you know minorities with within their community and and wants to treat people well. Um something like Andrew Tate comes along and then confuses that. But the greatest influence that any kids have in their lives is their parents, is their family, is their teachers. And if they are seeing, you know, if they're hearing you know, from these people whom they do look up to, a dialogue and a conversation around the fact that, look, what this guy is saying is wrong. And get into the specifics. This is a man who has said that women should not leave the house if they're in a relationship. Let's talk about that. Do you, you know, 16 or 17-year-old young man, really believe that that's the case? Do you think that that's right? This man talks about violently assaulting his partner if she accuses him of being unfaithful. 
do you think that that is the right thing to do? Do you think that that's the right way to enter into a discussion with your partner about a problem in your relationship? Do you think that that's right? Let's boil it down even more closely. Okay, supposing, let's just say, 16-year-old young man, you have a little sister. If your little sister's partner was to treat her like that, would you think that that's right? Is that, you know, would you feel that that's okay? Make these young people identify with it. Bring it right home to them. Because at the moment they look at somebody like Andrew Tate and they see him as, you know, he's quite far off. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's something that they're yes. aspiring towards. But he's still, he's, he's like a celebrity. He's somebody that they're seeing on, on, on the computer or on the TV. If his behavior, if the behavior that he's espousing was visited upon them, visited upon, upon women that they know, would they think that that was okay? Mm. Personalize it for them. Yes, very, very that good. That, yeah, I think that that might be a good way yes. to actually start yes. talking about it. Oh, yeah, you've got to talk to them. You really do. And as you say, that phone dominates that, but you've got to get time and get through them. And they're very good uh, ways there to bring it home to absolutely everybody. Look, I don't want to let you go without mentioning uh, your new book. And thank you for all you've uh, discussed with us uh, about the Tate situation. I really do appreciate Hello. it. And I'm sure it's uh, very helpful to parents and uh, anybody else listening today who uh, who have or work with children. Um, your new book, The Health Desk. Uh, Shane, <laughs> the most brilliant mind I ever met. How do you come up with these plots? Let me just tell listeners. Uh, it just says uh, a little strap line on the cover. She took control of his computer. Now he's lost control of his life. Um, James Fitzpatrick. James Fitzpatrick, married to the beautiful Bella, successful people in their own careers. And this guy then loses this file in relation to a multi-million pound deal. And Shane... Well, I don't want to give it all away. You've got to read it and find out what happens from there. It's incredible. Where do you come up with this stuff? Um, it was actually a discussion that I was having with Kira, my editor. I've had this notion for a while about doing um, a series of standalone mm. kind of psychological thrillers, maybe with a bit of a horror element thrown in there as well. Um, and the idea that I wanted to look at was the many, many things that are just a part of our day-to-day life. Yeah. That if we actually stop to think about them, the, the risks that they carry would be quite terrifying. Like, for example, we talk about the mobile phone. Your mobile phone is effectively a tracking device. Mm. Um, it's a surveillance device. And we all know this, but we carry them around because they make our lives easier. Um, the idea of the, the, the help desk, you ring up um, the tech help desk. Let's just say that you're working for a firm. Yes. And uh, as in the case of James Fitzpatrick, you lose an important file. Yep. You ring up the tech help desk. They then get into your computer and look for that file for you. But once they're doing that, once they're in, they have access to everything that you've got. And, and let's face it, our entire lives are stored in these computers now. Mm. And when you think about that, it's scary. Um, you know, being, you know, you're getting your taxes done, getting audited. You know, your whole life could be destroyed by this. Yet we accept all of these things. So, um, yeah, so the, the, the help desk is the first in a, in a series of uh, standalone novels that I'm going to do, which look at these different aspects of the modern, our modern society, that if we really stop to think about it, would scare the living daylights out of us. And in these novels, I'm going to be looking at why we should be scared, because um, once these things happen, 
once the, the, the slightly darker aspect of these things happen, it's very hard to make them unhappen. And so, all uh, you need is one person like this lady on the help desk that decides she has a, an agenda, a particular agenda, and everything is flipped on its head. But Shane, when you say that, and, and you mentioned the phone in, in our conversation earlier on as well, that is really scary because you are right. I remember getting into my car uh, sometime last year and I go regularly on Wednesday night for a few pints and the phone said to me, you are four minutes away from the place I go. And I said, what the hell? The phone is telling me that it knows where I'm going. You know what I mean? It's there. It's real. It's happening oh, at the it moment. Is. It's, I mean, all of our movements are there, um, you know. Uh, they they say that the search engine on on your um intru- your on, on your computer probably knows more about you than any person in your life. Mm. And again, all of that information is there. Should somebody wish to uh, should somebody somebody with nefarious intentions wish wish to go looking, and um, you know all of the things like Alexa, uh, you know, is listening. Smart TVs are recording, you know, uh, conversations and things like that. It's all out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, many of you, have, I'm sure, have seen the uh, the documentary that was up on Netflix about Facebook there recently. When you actually look at, I mean, that's not even people that are doing that. It's bots, it's artificial intelligence. But everything that you do is being monitored. Mm. And we have accepted this. Every time you allow cookies, when you're looking at a website, you're allowing that website access yes. into all of the things that you're doing on your phone. Mm, and they're back yeah. to you to say, by the way, have a look at this. And then you realise... God Almighty! They know my interests. They know more about me than I do myself. Oh, listen, Shane, it's a it's a chat for a, a, another day entirely. Congratulations exactly. on the help desk. It's uh, coming out much. officially on the twenty sixth, but I I have a copy here and uh, it's just landed with me in the last couple of days. I'm dying to read it. I'll give you feedback. I promise you. Thank you so much you for being. Much. It's, it's officially. It's officially it's out, out tomorrow. It's actually. out tomorrow, is it? Yeah. It says the twenty. In the shops, Great yeah. stuff. Okay, so it is out tomorrow. It's out tomorrow. The help desk mm-hmm. by Shane. Dunphy, pick it up, it's a bright yellow colour you can't miss it and you will read cover to cover, I promise you. Shane as always, much appreciate your time best wishes with the book and all else talk to you again Thanks soon. Thanks a million Jerry. talk to you soon bye bye. Take care yourself, bye bye, the wonderful Shane Dunphy there, coming up after My next guest is a very well known taxi driver in County Mead and I'm delighted he's having a chat with me on the show this afternoon Joey Garrity, hello again Hello, Jerry. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very good. Thanks for taking our call today. Uh, well-known man through Bechtiv. You were with me here back in the day talking about Bechtiv GS, GFC and you're well-known the length and breadth of the county and beyond. Taxi driving. When did you start the taxi driving, Joey? Uh, 22 years ago, Jerry. Yeah, I wouldn't be regarded now as a very old hand. I suppose 22 years. Oh, it's still a good length of time. What did you do before that, Joey? I was a tower crane operator in Dublin. I was 25 years with John Sisk. Actually, the last job I'd done, Jerry, was Crow Park, believe it or not. Really? So, <laughs> so I, I, think, I, I don't know if me won a game of Crow Park since I took the flag down there, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Weren't you the man that flew the mead flag to, 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 to annoy the doves, was it? Absolutely, yes, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sure. I, I hope the the green and gold is raised soon again in Croker and that uh, that me uh, get back to the days of wonderful success. You know, up on those heights in a crane, jeepers, you have to have the old head for it, don't you, Joey? Oh yes. Well, I mean, it's probably 
the job you can do or you can't do, do you know? Yes. Like, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's just one of these jobs. Like your own, I couldn't do your job. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, I... I certainly couldn't go up that height in the ground. I have no head for heights, I have to say, Joey. Anyway, that was that was then. Now, in 22 years, God, you're a good while at the taxi game as well. Tell us what happened. You, you were at Ashling Place near Black Castle Shopping Centre there in Navin. What happened? Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's a few years ago now, Jerry. Uh, I, I was just uh, just driving by the shopping centre and uh, a crowd of or a few gurriers were sitting on the wall and just thrown out a... Uh, uh, an object in front of me on the road, you know. Mm. So uh, I just got out uh, to see what it was. I confront them as I, that's the type of fellow I am, and I got out to confront them. But whether I dropped the keys on the ground or I left the keys in the car with the excitement, I walked around to the opposite side of the car. But when I looked back at the car, there was a fellow sitting in the driver's seat and another passenger sitting beside him. So I had some time to run out of the driver's side, so I grabbed hold of the fellow that was in the passenger seat. Mm. But sure, at that stage, the uh, my man in the driver took off with me hanging on to the door and hanging on to my man. So I, I went tumbling up the road, of course. The rest, let's say I broke my shoulder and another couple of small injuries. You know, I was lucky enough I wasn't too badly hurt, you know, but... Mm. Well, not a nice experience at the time, you know. But not at all. And uh, you know, they they got away with your car in Octavia. You were driving, was it Skoda? Yeah, I was driving, yeah, yeah. I was driving a new Octavia actually. I wasn't long after buying it, and when I was brought to the hospital, then the guards, of course, were with me in the hospital, and, that, and then they got word they just brought the car down to near the silver tanker and burned it. I mean, the rabbit, the rabbit for something that's wanting, but just the rabbit to bring it down and burn it, you know. Mm. And then the insurance, of course, and everything else then came along. And I think that hurt me more when the insurance didn't give me half. Yes. But the car was worse. That was even more pain, I think, you know, and mm. 12 weeks out of work, that thing, you know. Yeah. No compensation for that either, you know. A, 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 lo- a long time off with it. But did they ever get them, Joey? I did look at I, I I don't kind of like saying too much, but no, there was never never very very little about it. Mm. Uh, like they came to me a couple of times, asked me, and did I know who they are? But I I I had a rough idea who one of them might be all right, but mm. leave it for today anyway. But uh, no, there was nothing else done, or no one else was punished for. Uh, yeah. It, it it didn't it didn't put you off at all. You got up and got going again and back on the road. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, well, I, as soon as I was able to drive again, I I hopped back into the car going. Like I mean, in all fairness, if if you left the likes of these fellas put you off or uh, dictate, you know what they're going to do or what they're not going to do. Like if you have poor day, so that'd be the last thing I would. Uh, well, mm. would be up anyway, you know. People that often say it's a dangerous job. Of course, it's a dangerous job, you know. But ninety percent of the people, ninety-nine percent of the people that I would bring here and there and everywhere, is very, very good people, friends, yes. and more than customers, even friends. You know what I mean, Jerry? Mm-hmm. I'd be on the phone all the time, you know. So made great friends and brought some interesting people here, there, and everywhere. And 
like it's not a bad job but like uh, the present day it's probably a dangerous job all right but mm. it wasn't much less that kind of worry you yes do you do you work days only or nights or is it a mix no no I was working days and nights up till I, I packed it in because mm. I think that was probably one of the things I was doing too much you know I, I'm getting that I will now I'm not able for that kind of you know yes yeah job anyway mm. And and did you ever find like besides that what was probably the worst incident that that happened to you? But what what about you know what you say there? The vast majority of people are decent and they uh, they're honest. And when you're called for a fare, they're there. You pick them up, you leave them, and they pay you. Is is not being paid a, a big issue today? Uh, yeah, well, you get you get a certain amount of uh, these runners as they call them. But uh, I was lucky enough to see. As I said, most of my customers were people I knew. Mm. But on occasion, yes, absolutely. You go down to Virginia, maybe with someone, not picking Virginia, Trim or Kells or outside or wherever, and they might say to you, uh, I have to go in here to get money. But the house they would be going to wasn't their house at all, you know. Yeah. Some other house over so then when you go looking for them, of course, they're gone. You God, know what? Yeah. Right. And, uh, likes of that happens. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you get, you get a certain amount of that, but there a few weeks ago, I picked up two gentlemen, well, I'm calling them gentlemen for, mm. not sure that word anyway, but uh, they wanted me to bring them to uh, uh, Blanchardstown. <clears throat> and I said to them, my company is Blanchardstown, I said, uh, I, I brought people to out this evening and I would have to bring them home, you know. Yeah. But anyway, one guy with a car for me anyway, and there were two big fellas. So I, drove, I said to them, should go on the bus? And he said, I don't know where to catch the bus. So I driven round to the bus stop at Navin. Mm. I said, there's the bus there. That's the bus going to Blanchard's then. So before they got out, of course, an awful lot of abuse told me they were going to smash every window in the car and smash me up and leave me in a doorway and all this. And I was on my own, you know, so. Yes. Like I said, that, that's a bit scary, all right, you know. My word, it's scary I- I- indeed to to hear that altogether. You know, I'm just thinking. Um, you know, when you're you're taxiing for the length of years you've been, and you know, people like to make small talk. You know, when you get into the taxi, some taxi drivers talk to you, others don't. Then I always get into a taxi, and I try always to have a conversation with the man or the woman driving me wherever I'm going. Do you ever? Did you get sick of people saying to you, "What time are you on? Since when are you off?" <laughs> you know that one, Joey. Uh, I you busy tonight with about ten yeah. thousand. On the street. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, well, there was, there was one evening, one evening, uh, three lads going into the car, all right, just as you said, and I wasn't having a very good evening, but two lads were gone, but there was one fella, and he was doing a lot of blabbering, as you might call it, good drop of drink taken, probably, and he said to me, you know, are you looking at this game? And I said, um, a long time. Yeah, and it was quiet for a minute. Then he says to me, how long do you grow on that beer? And I said, a long time. And that stopped then. And then he said to me, you're not a very talkative kind of a taxi man. And I said, it's like just the good man. I said, if you want a taxi home and be left home safe, I said, I'm your man. But if you think you want entertainment, I said, you make a move of a taxi. And that's been the two boys started laughing at you know, I finished that. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you know, you know, it is. You, you have so many people through your taxi and uh, people making conversations. You know what I'm at. And, and you've seen it over the years. Um, the, the, the other thing is, it's a real change. Going back to your crane driving days and finishing up in Croke Park uh, for 20 odd years as well, where you were solitary up in the crane to come down to earth. You know what I'm talking about, Joey? And then have lots of people, you know, that you meet every day. Quite a contrast. It is. It's a different. It's a different job completely. But there's one thing I must say. Like since uh, since I started it, I, I made an awful lot of very very good friends and and great customers. And uh, I, I what do you call me, man? There from uh, he was head of the Church of England there, in 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 uh, head of the Church of England in Britain. I had him one day, and I got friendly enough with Ronnie too, and not mm. And you know, like you meet a lot of very good people too, do you know? Yes, yes. Like, 90% of the talk in the car with me would be football. Right. Everyone that gets into the car, <laughs> yeah, that's for a good place too, I suppose. People know, probably calling me a lot of names now, but, <laughs> 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 yeah. you know, and, you know, it's, it's all about football, about me, first me going, Colin O'Rourke, how do you think Colin is going to do? Yes. How is Lex doing? And, you know, all this I will chat. So 90% of it is, about uh, football, like no, no, I have never any problem. In fact, sometimes they say definitely never show up. But he said, <laughs> <laughs> "No, you have the gift, and you said you couldn't do my job." I'd say you'd give it a fair stab. To be honest okay. with you, Joey. Now, I, I, just come back to that point you mentioned of those couple of incidents as well. Has it, you know, become more dangerous from you begun taxi in twenty-two years ago to today? Yeah, well, the, the one thing about that is. People that often say to me in the taxi, Navin has gone very rough, mm. you know. Mm. Now, and I would say to them, Navin is no rougher than any other town in Ireland. No better, maybe no worse, but no, definitely no worse, you know. Now, there's, I remember 8,000 people in Navin. Now there's 40,000 people in Navin. Yeah. You know, so if you say that it got worse, it probably did to a certain point. But what I see in the taxi business is there is, if you 15 or 20 people around the town causing hassle, that's what makes it seemingly worse than it really is. Mm. Now, the other night on the, or the other day on the square, someone was in there to shop used to be only Tommy Riley. I'll tell you probably still on that. I don't know. But three or four or five people went in there and bet the shop people up. Yes. Throwing things all over the place, you know. Mm. But that was done by three or four or five people, you know. And then three or four or five people can get the place a very bad name. Mm. Like, what about the other hundred thousand that goes in there and gets some messages from the off? And no problem. You know what I mean? No problem. So it probably did get buffer, but maybe, maybe the business problem is I don't think maybe the law comes down heavy enough on these people. Mm. You know, and, and that's for another day, but, uh, you know, they seem to get away with a lot and uh, no repercussions for them, you know. Yes. If, you know, that's, that's probably a bigger thing, but I know I wouldn't think it's any much better or worse. No, no, you make the point well, and that is the impression most of us get, that it, uh, it's too soft, it's too soft on, on, on a number that are uh, repeat 
offenders as well that just seem to carry on. And you're right, bigger population and, you know, the small number do grab the headlines when they do something. That is for sure. Hey, what about the bike? Are are you doing much biking? I started it yesterday. Did you? I did. The battery was a bit low, but I started it yesterday. Please God, now when the days get a bit longer. You'll be out. You give it a bit of a spin. It's telling me I'm mad at my age, still riding the motorbike, but sure. <laughs> no, but it's a special bike. Tell them what, what you're what you're driving. It's not a very special bike. It's a it's a three a three Harley a sports car. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful bike. Yeah, yeah, it's a beaut. It's a beaut. It's a beaut, a Harley and, and a classic model as well. So when the days get better and the weather warms up a bit, you'll see Joey Garrity out on the roads on that most beautiful of motorbikes. <laughs> Look, you're a great fella. Good luck with the football and everything else. And thanks for joining us to talk and reflect on your time up in the air and the grain. And of course, as a taxi man for all those years around Navin and beyond. I wish you well with everything, Joey. Thanks very much, Jerry. Just before I go, I must congratulate LMFM too because uh, when we would be taxiing you know, us, that to get news of road closures, snow, uh, icy place accidents, and then the sport for Brendan Amati and and the other chaps from Loud, I can't think of his name, the commentators in the Loud matches. Column uh, does it in Loud and Matty and Brendan and Mead, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, you, you, you do a great service there. Oh, you know, thank uh, you. And that's what that's what we're all about, helping out people. Ah, that's, that's that's really right. nice of you to say. They're lovely words. We do appreciate them. We do, Joey. And thank you again for taking time to chat to me today. Thanks very much, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's the wonderful Joey Garrity there, famous taxi man from Navin. And it ain't easy, as you can hear from the man himself there, some of the incidents he's run up against. Because of you. Kelly Clarkson, because of you, we're here every day in LMFM Radio with Late Lunch, and we love your company. Thanks for joining us on the show, and if you're just joining us, welcome to the show. Yes, Kelly Clarkson there, winner of American Idol in 2002 with that wonderful, wonderful song, Because of You. And Louise Walsh, Because of You, when I arrived home yesterday, my granddaughter, one of my granddaughters, Ava, was uh, there, and she came running to me and said, Louise is right, gang gang. Of course I'm right. And I no said... right, even when I'm wrong. <laughs> right, right about what, Ava? The traffic light, the heart-shaped traffic light, that traffic light, gang gang, is a heart-shaped red light. The light we were talking about yesterday yeah. on George's Street in Drogheda. So, Ava confirmed that you're not wrong, but absolutely 100% correct. So, there you are. I just goes to show you that for good or bad, I have a mind of a child. <laughs> <laughs> I see and, things like a child. Yeah, I, And you know what she did today, folks? <laughs> I did. I took a picture. <laughs> she stopped and took a picture. I, I was there. It was red. I had to stop. <laughs> and I took a picture of the traffic light. And... What shape is it? Uh, I'm gonna. I hope Andy Waters is not listening to this. She wasn't driving. She wasn't driving. No, I was she stopped. was stopped. I was obeying the. She was on her mobile phone, was, which is absolutely. It was stopped. red, so I stopped and I just <laughs> took a picture very, very quickly before it turned green. Yeah. And then before I took off at green, I just dub- did a double take on the green light, and it's just a plain old boring round how, shape. How is that? 
Because it's, oh yeah, the tree, yeah, the top is red, the middle is orange and the green is at the bottom of the light. So yeah, so the top one, the red one is heart shaped. Wouldn't it be lovely mm. if all the red lights in the country had different shapes? Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice? Yeah. I'll make them all heart shaped. It's like the box you get as a baby, isn't it? And you put the, <laughs> you have to hammer the shapes into each one. <laughs> That's the box, not the baby. Yeah, we're talking about there. And he was, Sorry. And he was confused. <laughs> were you saying to me that there's somewhere that the lights are heart shaped everywhere? Yeah. Is there? Yeah. I'm looking, it's Bengaluru. Bengaluru? Bengaluru. In India? Yeah. And also in Iceland. They, all the red. Um, traffic lights are heart shaped. There you go. Yeah, there is a reason. I just have to. I'll, I'll come back. I to wonder you with the is that the only red light heart shaped light in the northeast in Loudermead? Um, according to Maggie, our Maggie upstairs, she Maggie of the and, Christmas and tree fame. Yeah. Yes, and yes. our Alicia. She loves yeah. everything heart and lovely and yes, fuzzy. What do they say? They reckon they've seen the heart shaped. Uh, red lights elsewhere. Now, folks, can In you help towns. us here? Can you help us? Help us, help us, please. And we, you're you're fantastic. I know you always will. Anyone else in the northeast? Be, we know there's one in Drogheda on George Street. What about elsewhere across Louthan Mead? Have you a heart-shaped red light on your traffic lights? Let us know. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. So Maggie and Alicia believe there are other ones. Yes. Mm. Definitely, but they can't just remember where. But they have definitely um, seen other ones in other towns around. She, Maggie reckons could be Dundalk, but she's not sure. Okay, let's see if we get anything in from listeners today. Heart shaped red light. We were talking to a taxi driver, Joey Garrity. The taxi drivers listen to us all across the region. You're the men and women who know for sure. Is there? Let us know. Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight by WhatsApp or text. I'd love to hear if there were more. There's there's loads in Iceland. Yeah. Because I'm just reading here now, just briefly, um, a northern city in Iceland it was determined not to lose spirit in the harshness of winter okay. and adopted this unique strategy by installing tiny glowing hearts inside all of the traffic lights. Mm. And the former mayor said in an interview that this was instigated after the financial meltdown to remind the citizens what really mattered and people give people reason to smile. At intersections when they see the glow of Ah, a heart. I love that thought. That's something we should adopt surely in this country. Mm -hmm. I think we should. It would be really nice. Why only one? Like, why is there only one in Drogheda? You know, why... Uh, will you put a question in we're not to Loud County Council and tell them this (laughs) time... Tell them this time... We will. Tell them this time we're not giving them gun over the lights, not letting the traffic out. It's a, a very happy nice, happy question to Loud County Council. Are there any more? I'll leave that one with you. After the break, fussy, picky eaters. We're talking about it. I really admire Joey Garrity, says a listener, for getting back in the taxi and continuing after what he experienced. I had a similar experience myself a couple of years back and I know how difficult it is. And that's obviously coming to us for another, from another taxi driver. Now... I'm sure every household, every table at mealtime has experienced what we're going to talk about next. Yes, picky, fussy eaters. And especially with children, it can really drive people mad. Well, I'm delighted to welcome to the show Sarah Kyo. She's the founder of Eat Well. And for over two decades, she's been working in the whole area of nutrition and dietetics. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah, this afternoon. 
Hi, thanks for having me on. Not at all. I was reading, you see, about you writing about this recently and that's why I wanted to have a chat with you. Oh, listen, I know. I've experienced it with my children and I see it with grandchildren now as well. Won't have this, won't taste that, won't take the other. Does it start from, you know, childhood and early childhood, Sarah? No, it can actually come from at any stage. Typically, though, we will see picky eating peaking around the age of six. Um, and often can improve there, but there can be so many different causes to it. So, yeah, I mean, we do know that the more different foods kids get um, when they're weaning, um, different foods, but different tastes, but also different textures, so that they're not on kind of smooth purees the whole way along. Um, All of that makes a huge difference as well, so that they get used to not just the taste of the food, but how the food feels in their mouth. And that can make a huge difference in terms of preventing fussy eating um, for an awful lot of kids at that stage. So are you saying to me that if you have parents that have p- pretty Catholic tastes, you know, and thank God today Ireland is a much changed country and we have eclectic palates, as you know. But if you do have somebody, you know, who's pretty straight and down the middle and plain, that really you're giving that, you're handing that on to your children, are you? A little. I mean, it's very, very, lots of things affect why a child might eat one thing and might not eat something else. Um, but we do know that more variety early on. Um, and I, I'd always think, be saying to parents, like, you know, you want to be thinking about what foods do you want them eating when they're 15? Well, they more or less need to be eating them by the time they're one. Mm. So that we need to be just, because sometimes we sit on purees or we just give kids foods and we don't think, well, did I put a bit of flavour into this or a bit of garlic or, you know, different, like not hot spices, but different flavours into it. So that they're used to lots of different tastes and it's not new. Because sometimes if we're not used to it, it can be a bit, oh, you know, I've never had that before. It's a bit weird. Maybe I'll just leave it alone. Um, but particularly texture is a big thing that, you know, I see lots of parents and the kids are still on purees, you know, at a year and a half and two. And you're like, you're going to have a real problem there, you know. Now, some kids refuse them and that's a whole other day's kind of work with it. But the thing to remember with kids is it takes 16 goes to get a child, a baby or a toddler to eat a new food. And what happens is a lot of parents give up after the third time. And mm. it's not that you stand over shouting at them. It's you just keep offering it. You just keep giving them a taste after taste after taste. And generally, they will come around to most things um, if you keep doing that with most kids. That's um, great advice. And and I know what you're saying. You just, you know, the frustration uh, oh, that, yeah. you know, gets into parents and they, you know, they offer and offer and offer. But you're saying... 16 times, so that is 16 different meals, let's say 16 days if you can do it in a row. Keep at it, you're saying. Don't give up. Well, it's like even with my own kids, you know, I remember the first time giving the the eldest guy carrots and he was having none of it. But, you know, I wasn't sitting there going, well, that's it, we're never having carrots again. You know, the next day I gave him a little bit, the next day, and the third time he kind of ate them and now, you know, he eats carrots. So it's just learning a new taste and it doesn't mean that they don't like it. It might just take them a while to get used to it and we have to just not give up so quickly. Um, now, as I said, it's not about shoveling it into the child or, or upsetting them. You don't want them kind of associating with having a big row with the parent. Um, but just even if they don't eat it today, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be a thing I'd say I'd never give them again. I would just, you know, may, maybe wait a day or two and try it again. And you know the point of view at a meal where you mix foods. For example, uh, fruit. A lot of children take the fruit very easily and then maybe giving them a cheese or some protein in a chicken or a tiny piece of meat. Is it okay to do that, to mix and match at the one sitting? Oh, absolutely. There's no, I mean, there's no rules as such. What you really want, particularly for young kids, is they get a little bit of everything. 
So they need their bit of protein. So whether that's your chicken or your cheese or, you know, things like that. Yes. They need some of their fruit or veg and that's fine. It's great to get some dairy in there as well so that they're getting their calcium, that you're looking to start to get them used to eating things like yogurt. They're getting used to eating their cheese. You know, so those foods are coming in and they're always brilliant. Um, And you're just ticking the box for, you know, your protein, your vitamins, your calcium and that they're getting that nice balance. And yeah, absolutely. And they don't even have to be at the same time on the meal. You know, sometimes you might give them you know, one thing first and when they finish that, give them the next thing and just in small pieces. And, you know, as they get a bit older, chopping them into sizes and pick up themselves. And it just gets them used to learning how to balance a meal. Mm. You know, what we don't want is kids growing up thinking, well, meals have to be all pasta or, you know, that kind of thing. We love yes. to have that lovely mix with, you know, their calcium, their dairy foods, that mix with their proteins, that mix with their fruit and veg in there as well, you know. So give them a choice of different foods to try. What about you as the... Uh the, the guide eating with them or showing them that you're actually eating what they want to eat. Is that a help? It's fantastic because kids copy us and any parent will know they'll do what you do and not what you say. Um, you know, and um, so it's very good for kids to actually see you. Um, you know, if we think about eating in a family context, which is what we want to think about in terms of kind of, you know, if the family overall has fairly good sort of eating, it's much easier for kids because they, they just think that's normal and they love to copy parents. So, you know, very often if I'm working with families where they're struggling with fussy eating, we would try, now it's not always possible, but as much as possible to have a meal at a table. And even if you're talking to a toddler, that you, if they're in a high chair, put it up to the table. What I often see with a lot of parents is, you know, the, the baby is given the food in the high chair nearly on their own. And then it's all tidied away. They go to bed and then the parents have their dinner. And look, I guess that you sometimes need that break. But the child then eats very much in isolation. And it's lovely if, when you can... The child's high chair is at the table while everyone else is eating. If they're big enough to sit on a chair, that's great. And what I find with lots of kids, sometimes if you can't sit them on your knee, because they'll often pick off your plate what they'd never eat if you handed it to them. And, you know, kids want to grow up. They want to be doing things for themselves. They want to be, you know, eventually an adult. So, you know, I've done that loads where I put stuff on my plate for my kids that they were refusing and then they'd eat it because it was my food, you know. So, but it's good for them to see everyone eating that variety. And that's, again, when we talk about getting nice family habits in there, you know, about how we have some balanced meals, how we have, you know, the fruit and veg, you know, so that if there's veg on everybody's plate, then the child is like, okay, this is what everybody does. And, you know, if there's the protein and the meat or whatever, and every, you know, that's it. Or there's the yogurt after dinner, that's what everybody does. You know, that kind of way. So it just becomes normal for the child. And they see other people eating it. And, you know, it's also brilliant for kids. Um, I, I would say the, the phone a friend option is kids will often eat things in somebody else's house they'll never eat for you. Yes. And that's always really good. And vice versa, you can kind of return the favour. Um, you know, I always laugh myself. I never used to really eat eggs. And I just remember going on a, to one of my friends. I'm too old now. It wasn't play dates when I was young. Um, but going to my friend's house and mum putting up, you know, fried eggs for dinner. And, I, you know, your mother was saying you have to eat everything. So I ate it. And it turned out not to be terrible. So, you know, those kind of things where kids will often start eating stuff somewhere else. So sometimes it's just messing around a little bit with it. Now, you know, we can have situations where kids really do have issues where the feel of food in the mouth is just extreme and sometimes you do need to go and see a dietitian. Um, you know, sometimes children have problems actually with their muscles and you, you mightn't see that yourself in, in how they swallow. So sometimes fussy eaters, it's not nothing to do at all with the taste of the food, but there can actually be physical problems with swallowing or physical problems with how they move the food in their mouth. And that's where a good speech and language therapist who knows about, who, who specialises in swallowing, is brilliant to see as well. So, you know, I'd always say to parents, it's not bad behaviour on the part of the child. You know, when we look at sort of fussy eating, but an awful lot of what I'd call more general fussy eating, those lovely family habits, 
that sitting around the table, everybody kind of eating a variety of foods. I often say sometimes you have to get one parent eating something they don't like as well. Um, you know, because kids will copy. You know, if one parent doesn't eat vegetables, one of the kids is going to not do it either. So sometimes you kind of have to get the, the parent who's a bit fussy to actually eat as well, um, which can be fun. But it's just that nice balance in there. It does make a difference in terms of overall just healthy eating long term for people. Should you reward or is that a bad idea? There's no bad ideas. I mean, the only thing I would say in terms of fussy eating is you try not to lose your temper. Yes. And that's yes. definitely easier said than done because once you start getting cross with the child, the stress of that just turns off their appetite and it, the whole thing is finished. But bribing can definitely work. Now, you need to be cautious with it, but they do, you know, it's, I would try lots of other techniques. I mean, you can definitely try things like getting kids cooking is going to work because um, they're touching the food and it gets them familiar with it. You know, we often think about food just as taste, but it is the touch, the feel of it, the smell of it, the look of it. There's a whole sensory sort of system going on with it. And, you know, getting them cooking can be brilliant because there's no, they don't have to feel nervous about trying to eat it, but they are in contact with the food and getting familiar with it. Um, but certainly for some kids, if you say, look, if you eat that, I'm going to give you, you know, a chocolate button. Like, why not? You know, if that works and you just get them over, as I said, that's 16 tries. Sometimes you just want them to try the food. Um, so there's actually loads of techniques and there's, you know, brilliant dietitians that can actually, you know, do one-to-one with you. I often do a lot of talks around kind of fussy eating as well. Um, and, and, and it's just really good for people to get that individual advice sometimes. But I wouldn't rule out, you know, bribery. I definitely rule out, mm. try not to shout at your child. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, if bribery yes. works. Now, don't give them a carrot and they eat it and a bag of Maltesers. No, that's not the thing to do. But no, I hear, hear what you're saying. Yeah, well, something small. We play a game called cheese bribery with one of my kids who love cheese. Mm. And I used to cut it up small and he'd open his mouth and I'd stick in the spoon of whatever it was I wanted him to eat. He'd give me a dirty look and then I'd give him the cheese. But it got the food in and, you know, it was, it was done. And that, like, that was a game in our house. Um, you, you know, you try different things. He is still speaking to me. Um, but so you're just trying all those different things to get the food in. Yeah, I love it. I love it, Sarah. And and look, before we finish up, you said something earlier on, you know, uh, if, if they're not eating a variety and tasting different things uh, before one or slightly after it, are you goosed when they reach the toddler no. stage beyond? Is there any way of, you know, reversing, you know, this Definitely. fussiness? Definitely. There is. I mean, and I've worked with loads of kids at different ages. It definitely gets harder as they get older. Like, you, it's so worth the time and investment as a baby to get them over this if you can. Older kids, the one I would do is actually a side plate with one tiny piece of the food you want them to eat and you stick it beside their dinner and you just do that and you don't comment. And that, now that takes months. But what generally happens with kids with that is they're getting used to the look of the food. After about the fifth time, they might touch it. After about the 10th time, they might pick it up. They might touch their lips with it, which is another sensory sort of type thing. And usually after about 10 to 16 goes, a lot of kids will actually nibble the food. But the crucial thing is you make no comment one way or the other. You don't Mm. say you have to eat this or try it or you did eat it. That's great. You literally say nothing. And it just takes all the drama of fussy eating out of it. And it puts it into the child's control. And it doesn't sound like it should work. It works in about 80% of kids. And that's a nice one. Yes. Um, but definitely cooking. Cooking is brilliant. Get them, get their hands onto the food. It really, really helps. You're a mine of information and I just want to draw listeners' attention to your wonderful uh, website, which I enjoyed, um, you know, perusing through earlier on today. Eatwell.ie. This is only one small aspect of what Sarah Kyo does. Eatwell.ie. Do check her out. I hope we talk again. You've been fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> 
No problem. Thanks for having me on. Take Not at all. Take care. Sarah Kill there. Wonderful, wonderful lady. So there you have it. Lots of ammunition to cure those picky eaters. Now, 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 the traffic lights with the hearts. There's a message in, says Louise, the pedestrian crossing on the Bridge of Peace in Drogheda heading south has a heart-shaped red light. Which crossing is that? There's two of them. There's one uh, beyond this terrible junction down here. Uh, at There's one heading for going yeah. from here to McDonald's. Yeah, there's one this mm. side on this side of me, and there's one the far side of McDonald's. So one of those, it must be. We'll take it. It's the nearer one, this side of Do we McDonald's. Not, we don't know our south from our north. No, no, that's it. You're heading south <laughs> when you go around that bad bend. You're heading south for sure. And so, but there's two crossings, maybe even three. There's another one further on. But anyway, we'll take it's the first one that would take you to Dominic's Bridge. We'll have to check that one out. There's a, a heart shaped red light there. What about that one, uh, Louise from Mick? In Germany, they have Ample Man. On all the traffic lights for pedestrians, he's that popular. They have a brand of ornaments dedicated to him. So there's been a a knock on business. Mm. Ample man, light man he has in brackets is known as as well. As like a new Marvel character. Yeah, so they've developed uh, an offshoot business from Ample Man in Germany. We're asking if you're out and about over the next few days, if you see the heart-shaped light, Take a photo, now say photograph or a little video of it or whatever in your dash cam or your phone or whatever and, and let us know if you, if you cop it anywhere across uh, the region. Now, we were talking, you and I, off camera, off mic, about the we- We've been giving out yards, haven't we, about the weather? Yeah. We've just been saying... We never stop, really, do we? Gosh, we never <laughs> stop giving out. <laughs> I was telling you my windscreen wipers doesn't know what happened in the last few days because they didn't have to be used they're not no being used for the first time and then you go from the rain to this hard tough frosty weather and the danger on the roads you know you know yourself in the mornings and that for people commuting and going to school and etc but the rain has been an awful feature of our weather it really has you know for weeks and weeks mm-hmm. and with that in Since mind Wednesday must, yeah, must have happened it must have rained we have to check back we have to check back did it rain since Wednesday. Anyway, Shane Martin, he's a great guy and he's the founder of Mood Watchers and we gave Shane a shout, didn't we, and said to Shane, Shane, what about... It has to be a name on it. Yeah, our moods and the weather, the effect of weather on our moods. And be God, Shane had a view on it all right. And we're talking to Shane Martin about the correlation between our mood and the type of weather that we're living through and living through a lot of wet weather on short dark days how it affects us that's coming up after three in the show and of course we bring you our top five countdown from this week in January 1982 we have a lovely one for you coming after three but taking us up towards top of the hour on late lunch this Wednesday afternoon it's Survivor and the Eye of the Tiger there's a big lead into this one Louise yeah the Eye of the Tiger very long when I hear this one I always think of Mr Woods the golfer and the first time I saw him in person with my son Jared when he was a little fella and up he strode in the red shirt and the black trousers on the first tee down in Kilkenny in a world golf championship and he hit that ball wow I'm in the presence of absolutely the greatest player ever to play the game of golf and every time I hear this song from Survivor I think of Mr. Tiger Woods, the greatest of all. News, weather and sport on the way after this one.
counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number three from this week in January 1982. And it comes to us courtesy of the wonderful Shaken Stevens. Number three it was in 82 this week. It was actually Stevens' first number one. It would become his first number one. It was going up the charts in this week, so it was up to number three and would eventually make number one, which would be his third number one single. He was huge at the time. And the first song written by Shaken Stevens himself. Yes, I'm sure many of you will remember it out there. Here he is, Shaky, and the number three from this week. Shaken Stevens, our number three from this week in 1982. Yes, Michael Barrett is his name and he'll celebrate his 75th birthday on the 4th of March next. And did you know he was from Wales and he was the biggest selling singles artist of the 1980s in the UK, the entire decade. There you are, Shaken Stevens. <laughs> and uh, his song on your late lunch this afternoon. So we've had uh, Don't You Want Me, Human Lee, our number five. That number four, Get Down On It from Cool and the Gang. And number three today, Old Julie by Shaken Stevens. We'll bring you the two tomorrow and the number one, the big number one on Friday from this week in 1982. Psychologist Shane Martin is originally from Carrick Macross. He's now based in Sligo and he's been with me on and off through the years on late lunch. He's a fantastic man and we've been talking about the effect of weather on our mood. So I gave Shane a shout earlier today and I was curious to see, was there a link and if there was, what could be done? Here he is talking to me just a short while ago. The truth is, is it can get you down and the evenings are very dark. I woke up to snow this morning in Sligo. It's been raining constantly in this part of the world and throughout Ireland really for the last number of weeks really. And just to flip that over, if you remember the very first lockdown in March 2020 when we all were thrown into a whole new scenario with the pandemic, that lockdown when we all retreated to our homes um, we didn't know what was happening. But the one good thing about that first lockdown was the weather. The weather was beautiful. And everybody was out walking. People who never walked their entire life were out walking. And uh, they were listening to the birds in the trees. And they were taking it all in. Um, and that helped us an awful lot, I think. And the other side of that is, you know, when the evenings are dark, when it's wet, the kids can't play. Uh, you're getting out of your car, you're soaked by the time you get to the trolley in Tesco and back again, you're soaked even more. Um, you can't plan anything, um, certainly not outside. And sometimes it's very easy just not to bother. You know, and like, um, like the, the businesses tell us that you know, pubs and restaurants, they take a massive hit. Um, the cinema, I was talking to somebody in the cinema yesterday and they said a lot of people just don't bother coming out to the cinema on an evening like that. So, like, it's a known fact that what happens around us, you know, our environment, can impact on our mood. And I think that's natural. I'm a bit like that myself. I'm a bit sick of the weather myself. But I don't think there's anything wrong with me. I think 
you know, when it affects you in terms of your mood, where your quality of life, where you begin to doubt yourself, where you develop symptoms, um, well, that's a different scenario. And in a situation like that, you probably need some help with it. Because the one good thing is the weather changes. And sometimes we have to deal with things in life that challenges that won't be changing. Um, you know, we're stuck with the situation, maybe the loss of a loved one, redundancy, a physical diagnosis or whatever. But weather fluctuates and good days will come and we know that the stretch will be noticeable in the evening in the coming weeks. Some people have observed it already. I can't see it. So I, I still hold out hope in that you can annoy yourself as much as you want to, Jerry, about anything. We all have that capacity, I think. Um, so, you know, not only is it, about, is it about what's happening outside our bodies in terms of our environment, but it's also a, a, a massive, massive role within the sense we make of it. So, like, there are people probably not as annoyed about the weather as maybe I am at the moment, and good luck to them. But they're probably doing things to compensate. Uh, they're, they're probably uh, rising to the challenge of, oh, I suppose, of overcoming the doom and gloom of the current situation, along with all the doom and gloom of the news and the war and climate change and a pending depression of our economy and homelessness and the housing scenario. It's actually a very depressing time at the moment. Like, you wouldn't want to let it in in your that is so true because all those things you must add in as well but wise words indeed the situation is as it is we're at that time of the year but it will change and that is for sure but you mentioned something there I want to come back to that connecting with nature the outdoors for somebody who may be listening to us and feeling a little bit under this weather even though it is changing at the minute a good walk to get out to reconnect that is a great way of helping your mood there's no doubt about it, because if you take exercise on its own, even if you're exercising on a treadmill, after 20 minutes of brisk walking, um, you secrete your own natural antidepressants. So, like, there's studies, multiple studies, cross-culturally, which show that structured daily exercise rivals many of the most popular antidepressants. So I'm not asking anyone ever to give up their antidepressants, because they work very well. But if you were to add daily structured exercise alongside your medication you'd be i suppose you'd be thumping depression twice with the chemical intervention plus this physical one and uh, like if i was the minister for education I'd, I'd, I'd be a bit of a revolutionary but i probably would quadruple pe in schools in an instant and i'd watch with glee as the anxiety rates would dramatically drop among young people but we're still obsessed with academic things and there's a growing body of research which is suggesting that's emanated from the period of, of the pandemic, that nature connectedness has benefits to mental well-being. And those who are connected to nature tend to experience more positive mood, vitality and life satisfaction compared to those less connected with nature. And I always want to know, like, how much do you need to get the boost you require? Like, a, like how many hours do you have to spend in nature? And there was a huge study conducted of 20,000 people, which is a massively impressive sample size. It's not a 1,000 people, it's 20,000 people. And it was conducted during the pandemic by, by a psychologist for, called White from the University of Exeter. And 20,000 people were you know, investigated, and two hours in a green space, either all at once or over several visits, has a, a positive effect. And that the people in that study 
were substantially more likely to report good health and psychological well-being than those who did not. So it's a comparative study. Those who weren't getting this green exercise were compared to people who were, and it made a substantial difference. And, you know, like the effects were robust across all occupations, all ethnic groups, rich and poor areas, uh, you know, people with chronic illnesses and disabilities. And the truth is, and... Uh, I genuinely mean this. I think two hours is a realistic target for everybody. And if you can't, over a seven-day period, walk through a beautiful forest or down at the stream or a riverbank, there's a beautiful place beside everybody, no matter where they live. And Louth and Mead in particular have their beauty spots. So, you know, that's emphatically shown in the science that, you know, the exercise is fantastic, but if you're exercising and if you're connecting with the world around you, um, you're getting an extra bounce. And I suppose we're connecting with something that we let go of. Because when we were much younger, we were much more connected to the world around us. And that there's people listening to me now who chased butterflies, who climbed trees. And I remember even lying on the flat of my back in my grandfather's big field as a young fella, and I was watching the clouds move, and I was wondering, was the ground moving, or was the sky moving? There was a magic to it, and when we were younger, we had that automatic, that natural tendency to connect with the world around us and find magic in it. But we were sucked into buildings to learn what society thinks we need to know to be successful. And wonderful things happen in those schools, but I'm going around schools now, and I'm saying, have you got a polytunnel? Um, mm. You know, do you go on nature walks? Uh, do you still pluck the leaves from trees and put them into scrapbooks? Like I said, this is real education. It's, there's a mental health benefit to this. I, I'm hoping that's happening in schools. I'm certainly advocating for it because we cannot ignore science, which is linked to wellness. We tend to be obsessed with illness, but we can explain why people are well as well as why people are sick. And very simple things like that walk, which was shown for the last 40 years, you know, to be uh, to lift mood, accompanied by, you know, a, a beautiful place where it takes place. Well, you're certainly going to box through the tough times if you adopt that approach. And it may be wet, you know, but I, I, I think there's no harm in, in, in putting on a coat and a scarf sometimes. Like, a, like I don't confine my exercise to when it's sunny. Do you know what I mean? A lot of us are inside too often, I think. Particularly kids. Like, a lot of kids are on Xbox and PlayStation. If you go for a walk, if you have kids, one of the greatest things you could ever do is, is get them to put their coats and scarves on them as well and, and bring them on that adventure. Because kids will naturally connect with it and marvel with it if they're given that opportunity. It is a fact that the climate is very depressing. There's no doubt about that. It, it can get you down. I suppose some people can find themselves unwell with, with a particular type of depression. We often refer to it as SAD. And there's remedies and interventions might, which might help them. It's not a, a massive amount of people who have that condition. Um, the rest of us have to, I suppose, rise to the challenge of the doom and gloom 
and not surrender to it. Absolutely. And out and about and reconnecting with nature. Shane Martin, brilliant guy. Moodwatchers.com. Check him out. He's a brilliant online course coming up in the month of February. And if you're interested, do check that out. Moodwatchers.com is his website. And again, Shane would always say, if you are feeling low and you need to see somebody, do make an appointment with your GP and take it from there. That's almost a lot on late lunch today. On Thursday, we're talking about your hearing and minding your hearing. Eleanor Moran will be with us talking about forest bathing. I'm curious indeed and more besides. Eddie Caffey's coming next with the drive. But before we say goodbye, Louise, um, this man, ample man mm-hmm. in Germany. Our ample man, Mick Hughes. Yes, good man, trim, Mick. He used to work in Germany. Yeah. Sent us just in um, just the figures of ample man and just to say that it... They were different in East and West Germany, but after um, the end of the Iron Curtain, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, um, the Ampelmann acquired cult status and became a popular souvenir item in the tourism business. There you go. And okay. they have him on the green as well as the red lights. Yep. He's on he's both everywhere. there in Germany. He's absolutely everywhere. And I said, they, he's uh, valuable, collectible and nearly another business has sprung up. So there you go. So don't forget, if you're out and about and you see anything different or loving or a symbol on our traffic lights, do let us know over the coming days. We absolutely love to hear from you. Anyway, that's it for Wednesday afternoon on the show. Do join us on Thursday from 1.30 and stay with us here now on LMFM Radio with Eddie on the way. See you tomorrow. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 